out uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon from 2000. Arguably one of the most exciting films on the filmography of Ang Lee, if only for myself. Um, this is a film which was really a big deal when it uh, came out at the same time. The film which I think I saw more people walk out of uh, than any other film until I saw obviously Drive. And it was kind of weird in that respect in the fact that the only reason they were walking out is because the fact that here they were faced with a film which is heavily subtitled and yet at the same time was presenting a very sort of traditional sword fighting style onto the screen with the wuxia style here being revived and with the success of this film paving the way in many ways for the many other the art house wuxia directors such as uh, Zhang Zumo with his uh, hero trilogy to sort of come in and really continue the style themselves while for Asian cinema as a whole it really sort of opened the door which would surprisingly pave the way for the Asian invasion which uh, with films such as like The Ring and Battle Royale um, and Audition would just really further just boost that uh, revival of interest in Asian cinema which still continues now but um, Kimono we've obviously talked about this film off air and, and just how it was always, always going to be one of those films where for yourself you said that it was sort of like nothing new and you never saw what the fuss was when it came out and worse to myself coming up as a fan of um, Hong Kong action cinema especially in like martial arts cinema it was sort of like this real sort of kick to to see a wishing movie be not only being given a mainstream release but also one being presented in such a artistic style that Ang Lee goes for here I don't think it's not a big deal. I think that, you know, when I watched it the first time, it was in 2000, and I was, what, like, 14 years old. Hmm. You know, when you're 14, the appreciation for cinema is much less to, you know, now that I've been working in this kind of, like, review and movies environment for, you know, a good few years already. So, you know, it's... I haven't watched this movie again, again since that first time I saw it in theaters. And I, I think that, you know, I appreciate much more the second time. And I can see, you know, as you call it, what all the fuss is about. <laughs> hmm. But at the same time, you know, I have like, maybe it's, I, I still think that, you know, the whole, the whole idea of Ang Lee being able to, you know, do this and take that risk of bringing something like a truly authentic um, Chinese film to a big screen with a decent budget because you know as much as the industry is in in say hong kong or wherever is it, it has their you know big budget for movies it's never going to be the same as say the money that hollywood is going to be able to put into a movie either right no definitely not i'd say that the the whole system especially back in 2000 it was it was not geared the way that the Hollywood system is with the no certainly no one was going to put this much money into making a Wuxia movie and much less give a director the sort of creative freedom that Ang Lee enjoys here yeah uh, so I mean it's, it's surprising as I said we've got Lee I mean at this point he's already established himself within the Hollywood system he's got three films under his belt uh, with Sense and Sensibility uh, The Ice Storm and Ride with the Devil which we've chosen not to cover as part of this filmography, just you know, just for for the uh, idea of time. Really, we've obviously skipped ahead um, a couple of years and just gone to Crash and Tiger and Dragon. And it's it was a surprising move. I don't, but at the same time, I think Ang Lee wasn't the sort of director who was sort of like known by name value. He wasn't like a Francis Ford Coppola or a Tarantino in the fact that everyone was sort of like, oh, it's a it's an Ang Lee movie. I don't think anyone was sort of like referring to his work by name. They just sort of knew the films by as, as they were. Him as a his name as a director really wasn't sort of synonymous with uh, directing as it obviously became after this point. I still feel like, you know, at that point, Ang Lee was still, you know, I mean, I mean, to Asian, Asian directors who are known worldwide at that point wasn't that plentiful, like, let alone, you know, like even actors back then um, mm. who are Asian was really less used. So I think for Ang Lee, it was a really big risk for him to, you know, do this. 
And at the same time, you know, he really managed to capture a lot of that, um, you know, that China, that, that, you know, the true China area and the beauty of China as well. Because if you look at all the filming locations that they use, um, it's, it's very, like, it's very scattered. And at the same time, it's in these really beautiful areas of, of, of China. Like, I haven't been personally, but my mom recently went to uh, Xinjiang, which is like the desert area that it was filmed for, you know, where Dark Cloud is or whatever his name is. And, and, uh, and that area is, is very, very, you know, it, it's very, like right now it's much more developed than it used to be, but back then, you know, it, it's just, it, it's just literally the area is just sand and desert. So it's kind of like he uses a lot of this natural beauty and really wraps it in this whole like Chinese culture. And sometimes I worry about films like that because of just the culture that it's in and how, how much people understand it. But I feel that, you know, at the same time, he's introducing this new type of martial arts and wushu that people really didn't quite understand. I think what was very intriguing about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon at that point was that Asian cinema wasn't very plentiful, like widely distributed around the world as, you know, easily accessible as it is right now. And while, you know, obviously I'm saying that I've seen a lot more of it than whatnot, I, I, I actually couldn't really think of a lot of movies at that point because it was so long ago. Um, you know, of this whole, like, martial arts where these people have this, like, this kind of, like, lightness to them and they, they can fly around and that's, that's martial arts. But that was, you know, the original martial arts before, you know, there was a whole Jackie Chan stunts and stuff like that. And, you know, even, even like just, you know, the basic Kung Fu, which is very grounded, literally. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is if you watch a lot of, say, um, Hong Kong dramas or something like that set in ancient China. That's what it's all about. You know, like they talk about the Jiang Hu here and like really just the Jiang Hu is like the underworld in the ancient times of, of where things are. And there's so many of these little things that he captures in this. Not to mention, you know, it's quite refreshing to, to see, you know, like he's got such a strong cast. Obviously he has some young talent there as well. Like, you know, Zhang Di, I think this is probably like if not her first movie, one of her first films. And, um, and you know, obviously at that point, I think, you know, Taiwanese actors weren't that known either. Like, um, like uh, the guy who plays her lover, uh, uh, Chang, Chang, Chang Chen. Yeah. And so it was, you know, like, you really have Chow Yun-Fat and Michelle Yao put really carrying this film and being kind of like the more, you know, expert the more like seasoned actors in this who 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 do really carry this film and you know it's a it's a choice between them where we see this contrast between you know this um this older kind of um lovers um and kind of like the um the love story between them where it's more you know uh respect and all the qualities of you know like how people used to be versus a younger generation who looks for, you know, freedom from the restraints of royalty and stuff like that. And, you know, we have that whole talk about, you know, like that love and what it means to both of them. And, you know, while one thinks that, you know, being in, the, you know, being martial arts and being able to do everything you want is freedom, you know, she's negated very quickly to, you know, the reality of things that you still are tied down by kind of like the society and the culture. So, you know, there's a lot of little details that Ang Lee uses, and I think that, you know, watching this a second time with a better knowledge of Chinese, like Mandarin, I, <laughs> I really appreciated this film a lot more than, you know, the first time. Um, I still, I, I honestly still think some of the martial arts bits were a bit annoying, like there were too much of it, especially like yeah. the running across rooftops that got a bit annoying after a while. I had, I only took about that money, that much of running across rooftops because it got, because, before it becomes too much. But, you know, there's a lot of really good things about it. Like, the actual fighting parts are really, really creative. Definitely so. I mean, the wuxia genre, I mean, obviously, the wuxia being... And I'm going to apologize to Kim, because obviously I'm butchering your language here. But uh, obviously, 
Britain spoke up to two words. You got Wu, which obviously means martial, military, or armed, and then you got Xiao, uh, which is obviously about chivalrous, vigilante, or hero. These films are sort of really noteworthy for introducing the waifu style, which is enables characters to Kim was saying to basically fly across the screen and certainly Ang Lee takes it to a whole new level here as we see characters running across rooftops and fighting amongst bamboo trees and really adding to that fantastical element while at the same time seemingly strangely grounded um these sort of films, I mean, they often have a more sort of fantastical edge to them, when we should be seeing like uh, Mystical Warriors of the Mountain Wu and um, the Dragon Gate Inn films. So, with here, Leo is just taking the sort of concept that we've seen before and doing something completely different. I mean, he pitched this film to Michelle Yeoh with Sense of Sensibility with sword fighting, and that apparently was all she needed to uh, hear to get signed on to this film. So, And I think in many ways that's what we get here. We get a period drama, but at the same time we're also getting those martial arts elements in there as well. The wire-foo elements, which uh, obviously he takes to such an extreme and such a visual um, extreme certainly adding something that Western audiences I don't think had really seen before, especially if they weren't genre fans already. It would have been something completely new to see characters flying through the air and just doing fantastical feats with absolute ease. And I think that was certainly something of a bit of a culture shock to a lot of people when it sort of threw them off. And while others saw it and fell in love with what they were seeing and just wanted to see more, which in turn help pave the way for more distribution not only for asian cinema but also just world cinema as a whole we did it was sort of around 2000 that we just suddenly became like a lot more interested in, in world cinema and seeing what else was um out there other than what was on our doorstep so but yeah i, I really like this this film i mean just as a genre cinema fan i mean there's that cast is absolutely fantastic i mean you've got chai young fat obviously known probably better for his heroic gunplay movies but here is uh fantastic as master sorbonne and we finally get to see him posed opposite uh the equally legendary michelle yo herself uh the queen of action cinema and a former miss malaysia so she uh is fully all her many skill sets are fully put to use in this film as she's not all here to play the damsel in distress but rather Charing Fats um opposing equal um a pair of would-be lovers but uh unfortunately due to their duties and general code of honor they're uh sort of forced to sort of never really connect it would seem yeah I mean, you know, their 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 love story is all about, you know, the the restraints of society, pre, pretty much, of of how you know the the different, as you call it, codes of conduct, is you know it, they they follow a lot of the old respect thing because it's it's for you know that's why the whole conversation between Michelle Yao and uh, well I guess we should use our actual names in the movie she plays Shu Lian and. And the, where, you know, she has this conversation with um, Zhang Ziyi's character who, who they, you know, become sisters or so, of sorts kind of thing. And, um, and through their conversation, they talk about this whole issue of, you know, the honor of it all. Just, just the fact that it's this person that she loves, but because of, you know, the, just the fact that her fiance pretty much was the best friend. They had this whole thing that when his fiance, her fiance died in in battle, they just felt the respect that they shouldn't be together, even though you know they're they're they, you know they had feelings for each other. Oh, definitely. So it's and it's such an interesting angle that, uh, as you said, I mean the fact that his best his best friend was obviously engaged to her and the fact that that's the, the one thing this idea of disrespecting his menu his memory by yeah. them them getting together and at the same time they also have this equal respect to each other as warriors on on the field i mean she, she is um a respected soldier i mean she heads up the the sort of security for zhang Zi's family and it's really sort of this chance encounter that the pair have i mean uh chairman fat's character mubao he's 
come to the end of his uh, time as a swordsman. He's ready to put his sword to earth and give it to one of the benefactors. And it's really just through that, for this sort of chance encounter that he is sort of brought back into uh, Shulin's life and the two have that instant connection again. The moment they see each other, you know that there's a connection there. Even before they sort of like start talking about their past and uh, and what they've uh, sort of been doing in the time that since they've uh, seen each other last, you can tell there's uh, such a real connection to them. And it's a real great that both from Show You and Show You have such chemistry on on uh, screen there. It's not too surprising that. These are, you know, these are really great actors and they, they, they have immense amount of experience. And I think that one of the things I really enjoy about, you know, this whole cast choice is that every single main character, including, you know, like Zhang Ziyi, even with her rather, you know, rather like young involvement in the movie, because this is what her, I'm looking at her, her filmography right now. This is her, her third movie that she ever made and I don't really know the other one was the first was a TV movie and the second one I feel like it was like a younger version of someone else so maybe it wasn't a really big role and then you know you have Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon and they all have this really like I always say the best actors know how to act with your eyes and you know for characters like these who really have you know a lot of things that they're kind of like especially in Michelle Yao and 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 um and Li Mubai and, and Xu Lin's relationship, they really have this, you know, they look at each other and they just know, you know, they kind of like feel each other, even without them having to say the words really, you know, very clear. And I think that that's, you know, I, I don't know how many actors could have actually had that kind of connection on screen, I guess. Yeah, definitely so, and I mean, you also have to remember the fact that Michelle Yo, she doesn't speak um, Mandarin. Uh, she only speaks Cantonese. Uh, Cherry and Fat actually speaks both Cantonese and Mandarin, and Zhang Zi again, she didn't speak Mandarin as well. So the fact that you've got someone who doesn't speak the native the native tongue, so to speak. Um, well, no, yeah. Zhang Zi speaks Mandarin. She's from she's from Beijing, so she speaks Mandarin. Does she? Yeah, all of them speak Mandarin. It's very obvious that Michelle Yao's Mandarin is less polished like right. when you, she she's very like she has that she has a really like more more significant accent when she speaks okay yeah you see that that's i think this is where she gets the the bit of the bit of um sort of uh briefing room when it comes to the west audiences who obviously don't speak mandarin or cantonese themselves so they don't really understand they don't know so the difference because there, that's so. the thing is because it's geared towards a, a Western audience primarily, I would guess, that it doesn't really matter whether they have an accent. Say if you were to put the same film in, say, it was filmed and it was for um, distribution from China somewhere else in this current day and age, then you would have gotten, they would have gotten dubbed because anybody with, you know, um, say Michelle Yao's character would have gotten dubbed because it's not the traditional Chinese pronunciation. So that's why I really enjoy it that, you know, that the authentic authenticity of just the whole using this kind of, um, you know, being able to, to just really hear their voices and their intonations. It didn't really matter too much, I think, because it's geared towards a Western audience, you know, just whether her accent was good or not. But, you know, the way she spoke and the way she said her lines and, you know, really understanding the meaning of what was being said it was her her emotions that really came through and i think that that's what really mattered in this situation definitely so and i think it was interesting as well just seeing seeing western audiences react to the fact that here we have a female character who is on who's portrayed and shown on the same level as her male counterparts there's no difference in in strength or technique at all they're very very opposite uh, sort of characters here, which I think was really fascinating to watch, and especially when you consider around 2000, there are no sort of strong female characters as such, there's sort of very few and far between, we've obviously got like Ripley in the Alien franchise I think 2000, around that period we've got like the Charlie's Angels movies and it's all like very it makes you wonder like, why did it take so long for us to get 
just recognize that you know audiences like seeing strong female characters and that's what something i've always liked about not only martial arts cinema but also just Eastern cinema as a whole is the fact that female characters are often shown as being equal, if not stronger than their male counterparts. Certainly in anime, all the strong female strong characters were always female, and that's something that's always played in really well to myself. Who who likes sort of strong female characters? Um, it was just like absolutely perfect, and it's kind of why I had this obsession with Asian cinema. It's just the fact that you have these super strong female characters. I just wasn't getting Western cinema. It was like, oh, finally. Um, they're not just there just to play the damsel in distress or be the love interest. It's like, these girls aren't going to wait to be rescued. They're going to rescue themselves. And I, this, again, is what I love about Michelle Yeoh. And going into this film, I'd obviously seen her, her sort of like Hong Kong cinema roles and seen things like Magnificent Warriors and seen what she's capable of. And I think at this... Um, I want to say at this point she'd been a Bond girl. She'd done Tomorrow Never Dies or was that afterwards? Might be afterwards, um, maybe before. No, it was before. Yeah, before, it was before yeah. in 97, because he had done, um, she did her right trail before. I think, yeah, I think that that was, I think that might have been one of the bigger reasons of why she was casted, other than the fact that she is a phenomenal actress, but she also had some kind of, you know, I don't, like, at least a Hollywood audience would know who she is, <laughs> which is always a plus, um. But yeah, no, I mean, going back on, you know, you're talking about, you know, strong women character. And I think that in, in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Ang Lee does a really good job of portraying it. Because, you know, it's in China, in China, and, you know, talking about this set in ancient China back then, it's a rarity that women are at the same level as their male counterparts. And a lot of it, you know, she kind of explains is the is the fact that she, you have this big contrast between her and um, Dang Ziyi's character. Uh, what is her name? I keep saying Gang Dang Ziyi's character, and I forgot her name. Jen. Jen, yeah. So you have you have you know Jen is is in this whole situation where in a normal in a normal flow of life, you know, obviously Jen is born to a royal like kind of somewhat royalty or a richer family. So she's been you know pretty much following you have to follow your parents orders of who you're gonna marry and she's in that process of being married to someone else for business purposes um just to you know pr help her father's business grow and that's you know on one hand this shows kind of like the the tradition of ancient china you know before you know mulan was a thing and everybody knew about this kind of deal um and at the same time, you look over and you see, like, her, you know, like, Jen's desire for freedom. And then you see that the loss that um, Shu Lin had to go through, which she has a freedom, but she doesn't really. Because now she has a boundaries between the things that she can get. And I think this, this kind of contrast really reflects that whole um, struggle of women back in the day. Of trying to, you know, you have to, you are viewed to be this this kind of like you're supposed to get married that's what women are supposed to do and that's their main job and yet you know because she her her fiance died at war she's now in the situation where she had she runs the business of um, this thing called sun security and sun security is is this thing that very women are very little women are involved with because Basically, what you are is you're a protection services for items or people, and you get hired to do it. So, pretty much what happens is, you know, she goes on all these things, and she runs around, and she, it seems like she has a lot of freedom, but she also has a lot of responsibility, and her, and her martial arts gets really, you know, uh, really, really used properly. So, you know, I think that, you know, with, with a lot of this, it's, it's, it's a lot of careful, you know, Ang Lee doesn't put, like, really set it in front. But at the same time, she gives you two very strong female characters. Both, you know, at this turning point in their lives, trying to get what they want. And, and you know, that's very admirable in how he does it while, he, you know, still being able to show a lot of, you know, those little things that, that, that matter. And, and, you know, she didn't even, he didn't even show two female characters he actually showed three because the jade fox is also a female character and pei pei chang is also a very admirable kind of 
kind of um, you know an older actress who who has quite a quite a bit of fame in in China as well. Oh, definitely. So Pepe Chang, let's not forget, was the Golden Swallow, mm-hmm. um, in featured starred in the absolute legendary uh, martial arts movie Come Drink with Me, a favorite not only of genre fans but also uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, it's in, I love the fact that uh, she's she appears in this, and the fact that most Western audiences would have no clue who she is, um, as she appears. She's initially introduced as the governess for Jen, mm-hmm. and you re- you soon find out afterwards that she's actually this assassin that's uh, been hiding in plain sight, um, known as the Jade Fox, who is responsible for the death of Mubei's master, and he's been searching for years for her and without being able, having any success to find her and at the same time she's been training Jen as a protege only as we discover when Jen gets her hands on Mubei's legendary sword the green destiny that she has that Jen's the one who's been the real master all along the Jade Fox has never fully understood the martial arts teachings that she's been teaching Jen only been able to follow the pictures where Jen herself has been able to fully understand the lessons that she's been been taught and has been secretly raising her skill skill level well above her her master and Jen is is a really sort of interesting character in the fact that she's very this Oscar Ness character within this world. She's you know she's yes you say she's been set up in an arranged marriage and it's really as we see through the lengthy desert flashback sequence where uh, uh, where she goes off with her bit of scruff the desert bandit low, <laughs> um, which. I know there's some there's some people who like this film who really really like Low, uh, here played by Shang Chen, and I always thought, God, what the hell is she with that scruff bag? But apparently, you know, has. you know, it, it's funny because I remember the first time I watched it when I was fourteen, and I thought I think that was one of the main reasons was I thought that the Zhang Ziyi and Chang Chen story was ridiculous as heck. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I could not stand it. And this time coming back and watching it, I actually really like Chang Chen. I really think he is amazing. Like, I really love his character and just, like, his little movements, his little, like, looks. And and then, you know, you talk about, you know, I remember, you know, the, the last conversation we had, we were talking about, um, you know, how Ang Lee doesn't film, is not very good at filming, you know, sex scenes. Mm. And intimacy. And and then, you know, obviously this one, we have some, uh, a, a few very more, more intimate scenes between the two of them. And I actually think that, you know, those scenes, I remembered watching it the first time and I, and I went back then and I, I thought they were pretty decent scenes back then. And I still think they're very decent scenes right now. Like, you know, there's a bit of, you know, the characters between them have, you know, they're, they're, they're both very strong minded characters stubborn in their own ways and whatnot so anyways that that's my piece on that <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and not to mention you know like low is low is like this this very very like charming bandit kind of guy and i i don't know i i like i i he's just very 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 like i don't know he he just i don't know maybe i just i, <laughs> I just really like him i think he's very very charming Again, Kim falling into that category of liking a bit of scruff, it would seem, because he's just... It's a bad, it's, I think it's a bad boy vibe. He's not know, even like... a bad boy. He's just a cocky sod who's hanging out in the desert, and he suddenly <laughs> thinks that he's... He thinks he's got everything under control because he steals Jen's comb, and he's got this self-respect of his, his men because of, obviously, his skill set. And then suddenly Jen pulls the fast one, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, she's actually got this skill, and the two have this lengthy chase across the the desert where their flirtation is shown via their, their individual martial arts skill as they're having this sort of horseback chase. And what starts off as you feel like Jen being forced upon suddenly discovers to be her sort of fighting her own urges because of the difference in their status in class. And... Um, I know a lot of people felt that it was it was sort of like a whole sequence that could have been cut from the film as it sort of came out of nowhere. This random flashback into the into what she was doing in the desert, but at the same time, it it adds so much because it balances and redeems her character in many ways that we need to. Because if we remove that sequence, it's basically her as the bratty 
teenager, so to speak, who steals Wubei's sword and goes on a little bit of a rampage because she suddenly has all this untouchable power that the Green Destiny provides. And again, this is something that uh, I don't think Western audiences will fully understand, the fact that you have a weapon of such that it gives you uh, this sort of... uh, ultimate power and it sort of adds to your sort of skill set and the fact that I think this um there were sort of themes that were lost in a lot of Western audiences such as like the scene where we see Mubei, you know, beating her in a sword fight with just a stick. Um and showing that it just like highlighting the fact that it's not so much the power of the weapon but it's the power of the welder, uh where the true power of the, the sword comes from. But having this item that is being pursued. I think it's such more interesting than just having like the pursuit of the Jade Fox, for example, um, or just the pursuit of Jade, uh, who suddenly like revealed herself as having this suit, sort of darker side. I think just having this item for the two groups to pursue is just makes it a lot more more interesting. And certainly sets up some fantastic uh, sequences, whether it's in the in the tea palace or if we're looking at the training room uh sequence between fight between michelle yo and Zeng yeah, that, web yeah that that was that was very very i think that was one of the most fascinating scenes to watch because you not only had these two women fighting which is you know a very rare thing when you think about a wushu film but at the same time you had this this woman who who was just like you know michelle yao was just pulling her weapons all kinds of weapons off the shelf that maybe even some of the western audience probably haven't seen before and it's it's a whole you know it's one thing i really really i think i really love about ang lee at the same time as you know just um the you know the the script itself has so much to offer in this in this kind in this movie and in general you know most of his films have that kind of uh, that, that kind of style other than maybe sense and sensibility because it's pretty much set in stone what's gonna happen but I mean like for a movie like this you know we go back to like you go back to like um low and you were talking about you know that that part before I forget what I have to say so I'm just gonna go back for a second um you know low what I really liked you know while we were talking about you know the women and and that sort of stuff I really like the fact that both Lee Mubai and low while low seems like the type who's kind of like more of a dominating kind of man who thinks that you know he can get whatever he wants when it comes to his interaction with um with jen he actually let her decide what she wanted to do what what course of action she preferred to do at the same time you know obviously you know he he eventually regrets the the choice of letting her go but you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's it kind of like that section showed, I think a bit of it, it was, it was about low, but at the same time, that sequence that you said shouldn't have been cut out was, was all about really getting to know this, you know, this character of Jen a bit more, because obviously the character that we're seeing as she's interacting is not only bratty, but she's, she's very, she's very repressed in her feelings. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, like you were talking about, uh, the other, the other little things that I thought about a section about, you know, how, how a lot of her, how a lot of these interactions were, were really like elevated because a lot of the things they talked about, like these random conversations, you know, with the Sir, the Sir, that uh, T, Tay, and with, um, with the, with the other guy, the governess Yu, Gov- Governor Yu. They were having that whole chat about, you know, when they first got the Green Destiny and about the, the, the sword. And they have this one line about how, you know, how to rule the, how to rule. And, and they were talking about be strong and supple. And I think that, you know, that in one way kind of reflects, you know, further on how the story progresses with, with, you know, Chow Yun Fat's mention of you know that it it's it's you know the strength of your weapon is, is more in in the welder than the weapon itself, and you know I think all of these things like I think the script is just so nice like they add so much to to the story itself. Definitely so, and it's not the fact that everything's played so thoughtfully and and unless they like a costume drama, this is the comparison I'm going to continue to draw throughout 
this episode really because it's not a traditional action movie yes we have those action set pieces but the flow of the film is much more of a, a costume drama flow to it um, such as the fact that when character when we have characters catch up with Jen it's not such a big sort of like ha ah, you must die I alone am best it is more just these thoughtful encounters especially with when Mubai turns up because he's continuously with this very sort of zen appearance which is uh, the aftermath of the weapon throne sequence where he is there chasing after her and they're like dancing dancing on the water and they go into the bamboo uh, mm. Forest, and it's it's also beautifully shot and yeah. and calmly choreographed, and it's a, it's such an interesting contrast to the frenziness of the scene we saw before in the training room sequence, where yeah. uh, Michelle Yeoh is basically going through every single weapon in that room, and basically when they were shooting it, Lee was like, "Right, you've got all these weapons, and we'll see you use all of them." And for two actresses who are not martial arts trained, they both have backgrounds in dance, which much there are many other martial arts actors who have the same because if we look at these sort of peaking opera training of like Jackie Chan and Samuel Hung and Yong Biao, they all came up through the peaking opera system. And when you think of opera, it's not just a bunch of fat Italians singing. The peaking opera is more sort of martial arts based. And yeah, you have you have disguises and you have like little weapon shows and stuff like that. And and it's a very very athletic thing. Like you you go to school for not just vocals, but like the whole fighting element, especially if you're like a um like a, um yeah like the man in this whole thing. Yeah, so it plays in quite well into the Hong Kong uh, martial arts in- industry and the fact that they they took um, many of the actors of these schools and then and basically just uh, gave them these large budgets to recreate historical uh, scenes or fantastical versions of, of such. And there's a really great film. I mean, some of Hung's Painted Faces is probably one of the best representations of the whole picking opera system. And certainly it reflects his... Uh, his friendship growing up with both Yong Biao and uh, Jackie Chan within that setting. But I really just, when you look at the film, I mean, it's easy to mistake, obviously, Michelle Yeoh and Zhang Zi as both being competent martial artists. The fact that the way that they move and the way they handle the weapons and just the, the flow. And when you obviously look at it from the perspective, well, this is a choreographed dance sequence. It, uh, you can see, see how, why the two ladies are so able to, have those sort of precise movements and be able to sort of give the scenes the flow they have and at the same time um Lee throws in many sort of surprising elements such as like the hook swords or when Michelle Yeoh grabs the sledgehammer and she sort of charges that and then suddenly the weight overcomes her which still makes me laugh every time I see that sequence um, I just, it's just so funny because she's got such confidence and you know she's got such strength as a warrior so you think oh wow she's going to really do us some damage with this and it's like nope <laughs> that's where the line lies <laughs> yeah but I think I think it's really it's it's very very it's very good at the same time because you know like I, I think that a lot of this came into the the fact that um, you know the the action choreographer here is, is Yoon Wu Ping who's Who's done a lot of this before? You know, he's he's you know he's done choreography, for choreo- action choreography for for you know Drunken Master. He's worked with Jackie Chan, and I think that that's where you know he gets kind of like that you know break in in this serious fight to have a bit of humor in it too. Um, you know, <laughs> if if Jackie Chan was in this situation, I can see this going a very different way. So <laughs> you know, like like there there's so much. Um, there's so much uh, expertise behind just just what he he did and adds to you know that scene between this fighting and and adding that little moment in between uh, you know like not all weapons you know work the same way and and it, it kind of shows that you know as much as as Michelle Yao is 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 you know her character is very very well trained in all kinds of weapons there are still limits to her her strength. 
Definitely, uh, definitely. So, and it's just a there's just such a fun just seeing some of the some of these weapons. I mean, there's obviously the familiarity of some of these uh, weapons, such as like the staff and the spear, and then you have other 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 ones outside of like your traditional swords, as we said. The, I mean, the the hook swords, which we don't rarely get to see, and certainly not used in this anything of this sort of classier nature. So it was a real sort of throw. It's sort of like oh, it's sort of like wow, this does this and that does that and what happens when you uh, when you pit sword against spear and it's just a real sort of thrill just uh, it taps into many of those things again this is just a, a scene which really sort of plays into the into, into the fanboy uh, sort of dreams here because we've seen many of these scenes before and we get to see it here blended into this one sort of sequence here just uh, other sort of fantasy sort of like mix-ups of uh, weaponry that uh, we have here and it's just it's just great the fact that that we've got someone like um Yomo Ping who is doing the action choreography I mean he would obviously go on to do the Matrix and he's as a director himself he's produced some incredible movies like such as like I'm Monkey and uh you can also like go back through sort of like the history of martial arts and just see how influential his work not only as a choreographer but as a director as he's yeah. he's sort of like up there with the likes of Chang Che uh into what he's he's brought to to it and at the same time I think there's certain people out there who think oh he's just the guy who did like the fight choreography of, like the Matrix and Kill Bill and <laughs> don't realize that he's like this very well respected director on his own terms as well yeah with you know according to IMDB with 31 credits of directing and it wasn't some you know most <laughs> of them are actually full-length movies <laughs> Definitely so, and I think this is the great thing with League. I mean, he's obviously being given this budget and this freedom to assemble the sort of dream team when it comes to making this movie. I mean, you see it from the cast and just all the way down through like who he has as like cinematography and the writing, and it's just it's all like the who's who. It's like if you were going to assemble your dream team, this is the the team you would go with. Really, um, we also get to see his. Um, a recurring appearance by uh, Shi Hung Lung, who mm. let's not forget he's headed up all three parts of the Father Knows Best trilogy, and he gets to play a little more subtle role, and I think that's why a lot of people sort of missed it, especially if you're not fans of uh, Lee's earlier films. But here he shows up as T in a, a small but memorable appearance. Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, it's, you know, we were talking about the dream team. And I think one other element of this that really works and, you know, I think is worth a mention, mostly because, you know, they did actually, you know, the film actually won um, best original film score uh, at the Academy Awards. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of that goes to, you know, just being able to pack into this dream team, Yo-Yo Ma at that time, who is a phenomenal musician, um, you know, a cellist at that. And a lot of this this music that is in this film and a lot of the score really does, you know, elevate all the scenes that are in it. And it adds so much of that, you know, really sets the scene of being in China and, and, and you know, the moments of, of you know, uh, action and, and romance and separation and loss. And all, there's so much in this movie, you know, that... That that really, I think the music adds adds a lot to it. I mean, were you disappointed the fact that none of the the leading actors received a nomination for this film? I mean, obviously Ang Lee picked up a nomination for best director, and the film did win best foreign language film. But um, I, you know, the deal is, it's in two thousand. The Academy Awards was not like now. You know, now maybe a foreign film will get nominated for their actor and actresses and that's still a very very rare occasion like if you look back even at the last past few years even as you know the academy awards claims to be changing to be more you know whatever there are more international stars but they're not for international movies they're still for you know hollywood blockbusters and such yeah so you know considering that this back then won for best foreign film it was still considered a foreign film award so, you know, would they have gotten anything? Probably not. Like, I, I, I would say, it. you know, it didn't surprise me back in, you know, 2000 that they didn't get anything. But at the same time, I mean, I, I wonder if, you know, 
in China, it, it made a difference, like in China or Hong Kong or something, uh, if they got more awards, but I, I'm not too current on that. I'm just looking at two, obviously, was up for Best Actor and Best Actress. Like, yeah, I mean, Best Actor was won by Russell Crowe for Gladiator. Yeah, I can understand that, but at the same time, I mean, he's also in that category. You also had Tom Hanks in Castaway, which is okay. But, mm-hmm. you know, Jeffrey Rush in Quills. You think we couldn't just shunt it about and got Charlie on Fighting instead? <laughs> Ed Harris is Pollock. A little harder to uh, nudge off because obviously you learn to paint like Pollock, so the Academy mm-hmm. likes that sort of dedication to your craft, so he'd be harder to uh, nudge out. And obviously, heading up the foreign side of things, we had Javier Javi Badim uh, for Before the Night Falls. Um, best Actress, I mean, it was won by Julia Roberts for Erin Brockovich, which is just you can just throw in the trash, especially when you consider that Erin Brostein was up for um, nomination the same year for Requiem for a Dream, which that is a phenomenal piece of acting. I don't think that anyone in this film would have beaten that for Best Actress. It's uh, it's scarily good acting, and that's a real sort of journey of someone who's starts in one place and ends in a very bad place. But uh, and yeah, again, Juliette Binnershaw for Chocolat, which I enjoyed, but I don't know. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, 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 you know, I'm looking at this right now. So Zhang Ziyi ended up getting, she ended up getting a Best Supporting Actress Award at the Asian Film Critics Association's Award. Yeah. Along with, you know, Best Picture and Best Director in that year, the t- 2001, because that was probably when that award happened. And then you go down and, uh, who, is there anybody that won? It was mostly Ang Lee. <laughs> and then they got nominated, but never won. So it was just really Zhang Ziyi, I think, really, you know, she acted in Chicago Film Critics Association's Award. Zhang Ziyi won for Most Promising Actress. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, we say we say that they obviously didn't, uh, they get it. I mean, the Toronto Film Critics Awards saw Right to See Michelle Yeoh win Best Actress. Yeah, credit to really Head and Dragon. You Canadians really love that one. It won everything. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and uh, People's Choice Awards. So, uh, but yeah, I... yeah, Golden Bohemia also. They, you know, Zhang Ziyi was a big winner. Like I think that you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon really put her on the map and, and gave her so much opportunity and and doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, the Hong Kong Film Awards. Yeah, I remember the Hong Kong Film Awards that year was was crazy. Like yeah. a lot of people won. Um, yeah, and then the music and stuff like that, yeah. But certainly in terms of when we have opened it, opening the door, I mean, you've got... Jerry, in fact, continues to be a presence here in American cinema, and he'd done, at that point, I believe he'd done The Corrupter. He'd, no, he'd done uh, Replacement Killers already, uh, which was bringing across that sort of John Woo sort of style, and he would go on to like, do The Corrupter. So while he never really became as big a, a bigger thing over in the west as he obviously is offering in his uh in hong kong cinema uh where <laughs> he's just little a, asian pond <laughs> he's just a legend and um probably one of the most generous people people in the world <laughs> seeing as he gave away all his fortune um michelle yo obviously would has become more sort of established and she's obviously gone to do films such as like sunshine and <laughs> most recently the uh <laughs> What was that the crazy crazy Asians crazy crazy what Asians I forgot. She is in Crazy Rich Asians, which really took me by surprise because although I went into it just knowing that the um, the leading lady from um, Fresh Off the Boat, um, Charlene Yao, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's sort of heading up, and she's I mean she's having her own big career at the moment. But Zhang Zizi did a few bits and pieces i mean she was did rush hour two she did shanghai nights and she most memorably did uh, memoirs of a geisha again with michelle yo which okay. a lot of people want to pair whenever they do double features they would say oh, i want to do credit dragon dragon i want to do memoirs of a geisha which is an interesting blend of films for sure i would i would say it would be good though i think that you know i would i would say that i think the first movie that dang d did impress me in was what, before the rewatch of this, obviously, was yeah. in Memoirs of a Geisha. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, if you talk about Memoirs of a Geisha, no one, no one beats. I think it was it was Gong Li in there. I think yeah. Gong Li was in there, and and man, she is 
She she was she stole the show in that film. So, anyways, we're not talking about memoirs of the geek show. We'll we'll do that if we do like a was it Bob, Rob Marshall or something who did that. Yeah. So if we do a season of that, we'll talk about memoirs of the geek show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into a little bit of a spoiler here. Um, the ending we have a little bit of a tragic ending, which for myself seems very sort of fitting of Asian cinema. There's a lot of tragedy within Asian cinema, and here recently. It's it's a real kind of crushing. It's like finally, it's a, it's a, you know, the concept of a happy ending is really a 2010s thing. You know, back in 2000, <laughs> we were still in the tragedy phase. Every single film wanted you to just ball. You know, <laughs> and it's so touching the ending of this one because obviously the our two two leads they finally um, are able to confess their true feelings to each other, but unfortunately at the same time he's been poisoned. So. Uh, <laughs> He does. He gets to end with like the best line, which you know is basically means that any other guy who comes into a life before has got like hell of a mountain to climb. <laughs> it's uh, so <laughs> good one there, Chai and Fat, for screwing up everyone else's chances there. So <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was that was a very. I think that was a very touching ending. But at the same time, you know, it 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 felt like. I guess maybe because I was so used to it, and and just like you said, I'm I'm kind of like spoiled in the sense that I have access to so much of you know what everybody calls foreign cinema, and it's not that foreign to me. Yeah, no. Um, that that you know it, it's it's kind of like I'm so I expect it to be a sad ending, and then and then there was a decent amount of foreshadowing before. You know, usually the good guy isn't gonna make it. And, and that sort of thing, and you kind of know that you know in the end, 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 at some point that someone's gonna jump off a cliff. <laughs> and then it's just, it all, it all, you know. There's Ang Lee's movies is all about foreshadowing, whether it's in the dialogue foreshadowing what's gonna happen later, um, or for a character, or for multiple characters, um, or just you know it, it's or you know what's gonna happen to a character because of something they talked about before. Uh, there's a lot of foreshadowing in his movies. And, you know, as we go through all these movies so far, I'm starting to see it more and more. Like, you're gonna, you're trying, you can catch these things. And that, I guess that's why Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, some of these things were, were done so, so heavy handed that I expected it that at the end, I didn't find it as sad as it was supposed to be. Cause I was kind of like, well, it's gonna happen anyways. But, um, but then sometimes I expect things and I still feel kind of sad about it. So, you know, um, there, mm. you know, the, it, it's odd, but the characters you connect, at least for me, I connected more with was the older couple uh, of Chow and fat and Michelle Yao that really, really like, you know, the loss, even though you expect it was kind of, was, was still kind of emotional at that point. Definitely. So, and I think with this one, we actually get the, the new theme introduced. We obviously have already the idea of like duty and unrequited love and, and and problematic affairs many of these sort of themes that we've seen already within Lee's work already but here we obviously have the idea of poison which is a very sort of more traditional martial arts theme where the use of poison is seen as like cowardly and dishonourable that if you're an honourable warrior you wouldn't use such underhanded techniques and obviously the jade fox her thing is poison um, whether it's you know Bitter, her general bitterness for her situation where she was essentially cast out and at the same time she is poisoning Jen's sort of world view she's corrupting her as, as the master character and we see obviously the fact that that towards the end that you know Jen hasn't been fully under the influence of the Jade Fox so she could still redeem herself and I think that it brings it nicely into circle with the fact that when she throws herself off the bridge at the end while confusing to my father in particular as to why she was doing that it ties in nicely to the uh, desert sequence where we where he's obviously talking about the the sort of star-crossed lovers and he throws himself off the waterfall but was uninjured because of his uh, soul being true and it feels that uh this is her way to sort of test her her soul by v replicating that in the sort of final sh scenes of the film so but yeah you can see it as like you know really i guess in a way of her trying to find redemption in the things she's done because i think prior to this point she 
she didn't feel that the things she did were honestly that bad until, you know, obviously she was being, she was being killed, she was being attacked by the Jade Fox, but, and, but, you know, Lee Mubai ended up being the person who suffered and took, pretty much took the hit for her. And I think that that was a moment that, you know, in, in just the reaction of it, she, she really, you know, felt indebted to this person and, and really felt, you know, like, I think she finally absorbed the words that he had said to her before, you know, about, about just, you know, her possibly being able to, to take over the Green Destiny. But, you know, she, she got caught up in, in kind of like just her own, I guess, pride and, and, and sort of, you know, as you call it, more the bratty side of her. <laughs> so further watching, I mean, what do you sort of pair with this one? Because you can go in so many different directions. There's so much, so many great films that you can you can pair with this film. So I'd be interested uh, to know what you personally go with. I, I want to hear what your, your picks are, because I find mine are very generic. So maybe you'll, you'll talk and then it'll cut out like five of mine. So I'm going to let you go. Okay, um, certainly in terms of like the art house kung fu side of things, uh, you want to first of all you want to look at be Zhang Zemo's hero. Uh, just the whole of that trilogy is really fantastic, and they can be watched in any order. So you have Hero, you have House of Flying Daggers, and the much overlooked Curse of the Golden Flower, which sees the return of Chow Yun Fat, and it's much more sort of uh, action orientated. But Zhang Zemo um, has fantastic use of color throughout his films and certainly within the use of hero we get to see him use color to indicate different flashbacks as we end up with this sort of Rashomon style story of uh, Jet Li's would-be assassin revealing how he came to face the king that he's supposedly been sent to assassinate um in terms of like more sort of old school cinema I mean you can obviously look at uh, the likes of New Dragon Gate in a film which has been itself is a remake of probably about the 7th or 8th remake of that time of uh, Dragon <laughs> Gate Inn but a real sort of a classic Wuxia uh, film and stars Bridget Lin as a master swordswoman and I think anytime you've got Bridget Lin on the screen it's definitely <laughs> worth checking out so she's much like Michelle Yeoh she's all about this she's all about this she was the lady of the time <laughs> she she's she operates that um that higher echelon of goddesses of Asian cinema that does get white boys flustered along with like Michelle Yeoh, you've got uh, yeah, Maggie Chung and Issa Murray. those sort of like actresses who really sort of like came at the forefront. Basically if, the, if any of them were in, in a particular film you could guarantee it got distribution over to the West it seemed and certainly I think um, Bridget Lynn is is another absolute standout actress who has it who has a definite presence on screen. So um, those would be the ones that I would uh, that I sort of come to mind first. I mean, obviously you can you can go for more sort of Western releases such as like uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, which is um, a film that I feel that we're going we will look at at some point soon, be it as an After Hours episode or. Uh, as part of her prophecies, and I, I'm not sure yet, but I have a real desire now that we've watched I, this film. Should go back and watch I it. I was, I was, I was thinking about. I, I recently watched something, and I, and then I thought about Rob Marshall, and then I thought about we were that we should do a season on Rob Marshall, whether it was worth it. And then I saw some movies that I thought you wouldn't like, so I was like, well, we'll discuss it later. Anyways, <laughs> talking about my further viewing, <laughs> my further viewing. Um, what was pretty generic. I mean, uh, I, I expected you to do the Hero Trilogy. Uh, I personally wouldn't, but okay. it's a great pairing with it. It's just I've seen 10 minutes of each movie and I hated all of the 10 minutes I watched it. So, you know, obviously, if you want to go in that sort of um, your your kind of film, I mean, recently, um, Zhang Yimou did come out with his recent film, Shadow, which I think could probably pair in with every other film he's done, yeah. um, you know, in the Hero Trilogy. Uh, if, you know, for me, I think, um, my first impression is always something more, you know, grounded Kung Fu would be more like It Man, which is very, very accessible. <laughs> we go on the very accessible first. Um, and then we go for something like, you know, Jet Li heads a bit more into, um, kind of like the more ancient China deal. And that would be, you know, Once Upon a Time in China, which I think is, is great. 
Um, obviously, I mentioned, you know, uh, Drunken Master, which really shows off a lot of, you know, not only the directorial, but also, like, um, action choreography in, in, in Drunken Master, which is fantastic. I really like that one. Um, for something that I actually caught on Netflix a while ago, but I never, uh, it has, like, two parts, Tai Chi Zero and Tai Chi Hero. Yep. Um, those two are actually quite fun to watch. Um, I don't know if it's still accessible anywhere, but those two have kind of a lot of the elements of, of, you know, like, the wushu genre in, and I think the first one is a lot more comical. I don't know if the second one is comical. I don't, I don't think I finished it. Um... And then, you know, you have things like, you know, if you want to go for something more modern in the 90s, uh, something like, you know, Storm Riders is always a pretty good choice with um, with Aaron Kwok, I think. Uh, Storm Riders is, is fantastic. The fact that they um, they made this whole deal about the fact that Storm Riders made more in its uh, in its native Hong Kong than it did than Crash Attack and Dragon. That was on all the posters. It was all like, Crash Attack and Dragon made this much, but Storm Riders made this much. And it's like, okay, calm down, guys. But uh, I yeah, mean, that- because you know, there, there's a lot to love about Storm Riders. Uh, the first one, don't not the second one. Okay, the second one I've heard <laughs> is pretty bad. So the first one is is you know with Aaron Kwok and his Ikan Chang, who's one of my favorites. And then you know you always have a you you also have a, a an appearance with Sunny Chiba, which is always very welcome. Um, so you know, Storm Riders is a really great one. It adds kind of like that whole fantasy element to a a kind of martial arts kind of film, and set in that same kind of genre that we have here of you know the the Jang Hu underworld kind of deal. So it's it's very you know I definitely say that that's that's uh, that's one that I would include in my list. Um, and I don't know if these, but you know if if you know you're. I just don't know if these books are available because a lot of these things like Legend of the Condor Heroes and stuff like that, those are very, you know, traditional things that really set off this genre. Um, so I don't know. Anyways, that mm. that's that's my, my further viewing. Yeah, I've still got to watch the sequel to this Sword of Destiny, which I was so excited about coming out and then just never watched it. So <laughs> Maybe maybe we'll do it as an after hour pick. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, I think that's, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and also, with uh, you mentioned already, I mean, Once Upon a Time in, in China, really fantastic series. I mean, for myself, I would say parts two and three are the best. Uh, two in particular sees Jet Li versus Donnie Yen in a climactic fight that we would have to wait until Hero to see the actual rematch for. But Donnie Yen, an actor whose films not only brought us together, but um, also has really sort of seen him come to the forefront in recent years as the man it's sort of he's finally got his uh his due because it, it sort of started off with bruce lee and then he went to jackie chan and then samuel hung and jet lee well, and he was always Don, there but but no donnie yen donnie yen immigrated away for a while so it wasn't it wasn't like he was inactive for for like a, a good i think a few years until he went back to hong kong and then started up with it man and you know um flashpoint and it was a flashpoint uh no no, yeah. no the what was that movie called? He did Flashpoint, he did... Um, the one before that, it was... Before Flashpoint was a sequel, no? To... Oh, to okay. S- 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 SPL. The one that we did, we, we actually... Huh? SPL. Yes, SPL, yes. So... Yeah. And now, <laughs> yeah, Dunyan is... Uh, he's just so fantastic. Especially when you watch Ip Man and just see him like decimate 12 guys at once in like... With effortless choreography. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe we should do this off air. <laughs> just, Our whole fan, fan, fan boy and fan girling over this. <laughs> just the, but um, yeah, um, definitely some. There's definitely many interesting directions you can go for it, and hopefully, if you, I mean, if you if you see this for the first time and you've not watched some Asian cinema um, and seen the films that sort of came before this, definitely sort of check them out. And I think there's no better time than now. I mean, the fact that Amazon Prime has so many of the the Shaw Brothers movies and they, Netflix obviously got um, imported films as, as our Amazon and other streaming platforms. So it's great that these films are so readily available and uh, definitely worth discovering if you haven't done already. Um, but that makes us end of this episode. Thank you as always for listening. Please do hit the like and subscribe buttons if you haven't done already and may perhaps leave us a comment or a review. It all helps raise the profile of the show.
You can find us over on both Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you can check out our whole archive, which is at moviesandtpodcast.wordpress.com, where we also have our Friday Film Club, where each week myself and Kim both pick a film to piece together into a wonderful double feature as we uh, cover those films that we perhaps won't get room to looking at on the show, but uh, still feel uh, worth uh, checking out as well. So um all that's there and uh, kim where do we go for our next episode well we're jumping forward <laughs> to 2003 yeah the 2003 with a superhero movie by angley hulk ah uh, yes starring we get to... you know eric Bana and jennifer Connolly. so yeah the the hulk a comic book movie before comic book movies became this thing that's just mass marketed and churned out on a weekly basis um so we'll certainly see how the angley art house style met with the comic book style when we look at the hook on the next episode uh but thank you as always for listening and thank you to my co-host kim and uh, we'll be back next time looking at hook good night <laughs>